You're listening to Randall Parker's Film Club with me, Randall Parker. On today's podcast, we will be reviewing two films on the list of greatest films of all time, answering a few of your emails, have a film that what I would like to see, and a few other usual treats. Now, I've had a couple of emails from people asking me if I'm okay, as during towards the end of the last episode, I seem to be talking a bit too quickly. Now, at first, I did wonder what the fuck they were talking about, but uh, to be fair, I listened back and realised I did sound a little bit excitable. Now, I do put this down to the fact that Mum made me a brew before I started, and she put in what she thought was sugar, but in fact it was some free samples from Party Janet that she'd left behind. So, as the podcast went on, it started to kick in, and by the time Mum and Mr White returned from their trip from Ikea, I was sat on the front lawn in my underpants, staring directly at the sun, shouting, It's all so simple. It's all one. God knows what I was talking about. Right fucked me up, that did. It took two packs of ice pops and three bowls of porridge to get me anywhere near normal. Another thing resulting from last week's podcast is that I mentioned a fair few of you had been referring to Randall Parker's film club as RPFC. Now, I've had an email from a rugby union club in south-west London. Uh, They're called Roslyn Park Football Club and they're threatening me with legal action if I refer to this podcast as RPFC. And they hold a trademark and if I carry on, they're going to send Big Frankie down to beat the shit out of me. Now, wedding-wise, earlier on in the week, uh, we had Uncle Kenny and Auntie Christine here talking about wedding plans. Uncle Kenny knocking all the paintwork off with his wheelchair. Auntie Christine getting all upset because he was wearing one of Dead Allen's T-shirts. Not like he's got any use for it. Now, Uncle Kenny is giving Mum away, and Auntie Christine is a matron of honour. All four of them sat there in the living room, drinking endless cups of tea, talking about the wedding, laughing too loudly for hours and hours. Auntie Christine getting up and changing Uncle Kenny's piss bag every 45 minutes. It was like a shit episode of Last of the Summer Wine, which is basically any episode of Last of the Summer Wine, isn't it? Uh, It looked like a waiting room for the undertakers. On a related topic, Stan from Down the Bowls Club has agreed a price with Janet for the stag do. Uh, should be a cracking night. They've hired a room down at the Dog and Partridge and Party Janet's going to supply all the entertainment, everything we need for a good stag. Invites are in the post and when I was talking to Kung Fu Dan this morning, he said that he'd had his already. Mine's probably just held up with the sorting office or something, isn't it? Emails. Right, so on to emails. The Raymond Crest filter is in full effect, working wonders on sifting out the shit from that old bastard. Now, we've had three emails this week, so let's get cracking. Uh, The first email says, Dear Randall, love the podcast, and I also share your passion for kung fu films. My question is this, if an attacker was heading towards you at some speed, what would your preferred method of taking him down be? Many thanks, Seb Anderson, Rugely. Well, thanks for writing in, Seb. I presume that's short for Sebastian. Yeah, I can see why you'd shorten that to Seb. Uh, Now, this is a great question. If an attacker was running towards me, I don't think you can beat a well-timed kick to the bollocks. They're coming at you full speed, you draw your leg back and wallop. Don't forget the follow-through, that's important. Squeeze every last bit of momentum into the target area. Now, in my experience, you'd get the same desired effect if your attacker was either male or female. Same result, different sound. Thanks for writing in, Seb. Now, when this next email came in, we ran it through the Raymond Crest filter and it is 100% legit. It goes, Dear Andal, When in the pub with my friends, we often have discussions on films and invariably ends up with us falling out. 
Only last week, Darius said that Michael Keaton's Batman was superior to the one played by Christian Bale. Sam said that Darius's opinion counted for nothing, as he thought that Stalker was Tarkovsky's best film, when it's obvious that Solaris is infinitely superior in every way. Darius then went on to call Sam a wanker, and said that scene where the Stalker returns to the zone and rolls around in the nettles is perhaps one of the most moving scenes in cinema. Then Tony pipes up and said, Now nah, that bit in Toy Story 2 where Jesse's abandoned is heartbreaking. This ended with Sam glassing Tony and Darius had to be treated for a stab wound to the chest. But my question is this. What is your favourite scene from a film and why? Best wishes, Danny Carter. Well, thanks for writing in, Danny. Uh, there's one scene that always makes me chuckle and it never fails to lift me spirits and that's in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Shop. The proper one, not the one with Johnny Depp's in it. Uh, when the fat kid is supping all the chocolate out the river, then he falls in and ends up getting sucked off in the tube. A fat kid in peril never fails to raise a smile with me. Or perhaps that scene in The Departed when the lift doors open. Fucking hell, I bet that cleared his sinuses. Thanks for the email, Danny, and I wish all your friends a speedy recovery. Oh, we only got two emails, sorry about that. Uh, just thought I'd mention, if you happen to hear a bit of noise in the background, it's because we've got a couple of guests with us this week. Uh, Jackson and John Wick from next door. Donna's gone missing. Well, we say she's gone missing. We know where she is. She's out on the piss. An impromptu four-day bender in Morecambe, and she decided to leave the two kids at home. Now, we did hear him knocking about next door, and Mum thought it'd be best for us to have him round here, you know, whilst, whilst, whilst Donna gets it out of his system. Uh, they have actually been quite good. John Wick likes to listen to Mum berate children's TV presenters for not using the Queen's English, and we've doubled up on Jackson's medicine, so that's keeping him good at the moment. Mum and Mr White have been taking him out and playing happy families, and it's fucking annoying. Take yesterday, I was trying to watch one of the films for this podcast, and John Wick was running round the living room shouting about Pepper fucking Pig. So if halfway through my review of The Exterminating Angel I start talking about jumping in muddy puddles, you'll know why. Randall Parker's Film Fact Robert De Niro was offered the role of Captain Smith in the film Titanic, but was unfortunately unable to film any scenes as he was suffering from the long-term shits at the time. Randall Parker's Film Fact uh, quite chuffed with the Raymond Crest filter, seems to be working a fucking treat, doesn't it? And uh, looking at the results from the data tracking software, it seems our 87-year-old troll Raymond has given up and we're getting very few emails from the Leeds area. Right, on to reviews, and due to the dropping quality from the listeners' requests, we're going to be reviewing two classic films this week, back to the old format of the show. Now, our first film, I did mention earlier, is called The Exterminating Angel. Uh, it's from 1962, directed by some bloke called Louis Brunel, and it's from Brazil, and it's a fucking odd one, I can tell you that. Now, it takes place at this big, right posh house, and they're having a slap-up meal with all of their mates. And just before the meal starts, all the servants decide, fuck that, I'm going home, and they just leave the butler there to do all the work. Well, the meal ain't a success as the bloke serving it goes arse over it and bungs it all over the floor. Then the main lady follows him into the back room and says, You right fuck that up, you did. Get rid of that bear cub and the sheep and just serve the fucking coffee. Right. Then all the guests nip off into the music room and listen to someone play some of that old music the posh people are so obsessed with. And they all go, Fucking hell, love, that was right good. And they basically just hang around chatting shit. Now it's obvious that they're outstaying their welcome. 
and it's a bit like when Uncle Kenny comes round, sitting there in his chair, reeking of his own piss. Now, instead of telling him all to fuck off, the main man and the main lady of the house just let him doss down on the floor like a bunch of druggies off the tits. Now, the next morning, they realise that for some reason, they can't leave the room. They just physically can't. They try, but they go, ooh, I feel all faint. Right, if I'd have been the boss man of the house, I'd have said, look, man up and get the fuck out. But he don't, because he's as mental as the fucking rest of them. Anyway, as time goes on, they run out of water and food, and one old cock drops dead, and they bung him in a cupboard. They're there for days, getting on each other's pips and being right twats, and a young couple find another cupboard, nip off in there, and top themselves. This did make me wonder, how many cupboards did this room have? Anyway, days pass, and they're basically there, and they become savages, rip hole in the wall and find a water pipe and have a drink. I was actually hoping it was an electric cable and they all got electrocuted, but it weren't. By this time, it was making me arse itch, and then some woman, who I'm pretty sure we hadn't seen before. I couldn't be too sure, because there was fucking hundreds of the bastards. Anyway, this woman says, let's recreate what we were doing at the start. Right, and see if that helps. And it does. And they fuck off out there, and then they go to church for some reason. Right. When they're in the church, they get trapped again, and every other fucker starts to riot outside the church. Jesus, the only thing this film had going for it was that it was only on for 94 minutes. You know how long some of these Ponzi directors can string this sort of shit out for. Uh, Ratings-wise, I'm going to put this on a par with breathing in someone else's eggy farts. That was The Exterminating Angel. Watch that if you want to see some ropey old woman with a dead chicken in her handbag. Now, as I said in last week's podcast, Mr White has made it quite clear that after the wedding, I'm no longer welcome to either move in with him and mum or stay here, so I'm going to have to find some alternative accommodation. (coughs) Now, to be fair to him, he has helped me and tried to find me a place to stay, and we went to look at one of those bungalows near the daycare centre that's a comfrey, because some old bird who lived there has recently died. It can't have been that long since they discovered the body, as you could still see the stain on the carpet and you could still smell the decay fighting its way through the Febreze. Now, Mr White is mates with the local BMP councillor, Eddie Britton, and Eddie has managed to pull a few strings so I can jump the queue and get me a bungalow. But even though me and is being forced, I do think it's got to be a good move for me. Uh, you know, strike out on me own. And on the plus side, I can have the telly on past nine and no one can say a fucking word, can they? Mr White did say to me that as I'm being so mature about the old thing that he's going to give me a thousand quid to kit out me bungalow but when I went round the bungalow on Thursday uh, whilst I was there the bloke from the council was tidying the place up so I asked him leave most of the furniture the bits with our blood shit all sick on them and I'll pocket the grand so in a couple of weeks I'll be flying the nest and one of the things I did notice is that from the bedroom window if you press your face right up against the glass and strain your neck to the left, you can just about see the windows of the student nurse's accommodation. So that's a bonus, isn't it? Now, a shout-out to all the staff down at Warden Bailey Fabrications, where I would work if I wasn't on emergency permanent furlough. Now, certain areas of the business are still out of bounds due to the investigation work and the health and safety executive think that the site of the accident may have been tampered with after the initial accident. They seem to think that the body may have been moved after the ducting and pipework crushed the life out of poor robot Robert. But I did say to Mr White that apart from rolling the lifeless corpse of Robert over to check if he got any change for the vending machine, nothing was tampered with. Mr White thinks that this could have serious implications on the HS2 contract and has already had to lay off another 30 members of staff. 
I just think, though, that this could have been avoided if Robert had kept himself a little bit trimmer and he could have got himself out of the way of the ducting when he fell. Mr Watt says that we should hear in the next few days when the inquest is and I might be called on to give evidence as I was the last one to see him alive. I have attended one of those years ago when my granddad died. You know, I was the last person to see him alive too. Twelve I was and he just stopped breathing for no reason whilst we were having a wrestle. Oh, oh I'll tell you this, right. We had a bit of a to-do last night when Jackson bit through the wire on the toaster. Yeah, little old Jackson, he did get a bit out of hand when he'd run out of his medicine and Mr White did try to calm him down, but took a kick straight to the knackers and went down like a sack of spuds. But I'd seen this sort of thing with Mum before, so I just ended up handcuffing him to the pipes in the airing cupboard, seemed to do the trick until we managed to get one of Party Janet's girls to drop off some of his special mixture. Now on to a bit of good news. After a couple of weeks in hospital, local gossip Tommy Slippers is now out and about. Now he's asked me to thank everyone who wished him well and especially to everyone who visited him whilst he was on Ward 12. He did say he never knew he had so many friends. Well Tommy, that's probably because they think you're in line for a bit of compo and want a bit of the cash. But it's great to have you back down the chippy as it isn't half as much fun when you're not around there chatting shit. Films that what I would like to see. Right, so a slight change to films that what I would like to see this week as we're doing a sequel that what I would like to see and it's a follow-up to the footballing classic from 2002 Bended Like Beckham but mine's going to be called Rutting Like Rooney Now my sequel uh, would follow an ex-Premier League footballer who has retired and his wife's left him and she leaves him with fuck all and he's got nothing to his name so he thinks to get some pride back and give a little back I'm going to go to the old folks home and teach everyone there how to keep fit now, once there, he develops feelings for one of the inmates and ultimately ends up shagging a granny. So if the producers of Bendit Lark Beckham want to get in touch and take this to the next level, uh, they can get in touch with me via email. The address, as always, is randallparker1971 at gmail.com. Films that what I would like to see. Right, I'll give a shout out to the team down at the ABC Cinema, especially Kung Fu Dan, who is now back after suspension for putting cameras in the ladies' shitters. Now, he's back at work and he's had to call time on his streaming service that he was running, uh, which is a shame because I'd paid three months in advance and he's told me that I can fucking whistle if I'm expecting a refund. Randall Parker's Film Face-Off Right, so on to the part of the podcast which takes two films with similar threads running through them and compares them and tells you which one you should watch. So both of our films today involve characters taken away from their homes and the world's changing. And both have heartbreak and both films involve monumental decisions which could alter someone's life beyond measure. That's right, our two films this week are Sophie's Choice and Shaun the Sheep the Movie. Now Sophie does have to make a decision whether to save her son or daughter from the Nazis but Sean does have to choose whether to cure the farmer's amnesia and in do so destroy the newfound fame he's got as a celebrity barber. There are light-hearted moments in both films. In Sophie's Choice they're at a fair having a whale of a time but in Sean the Sheep, uh, three sheep do dress up as a human. Uh, Mel Streep did win an Oscar for her portrayal of the tortured soul Sophie but you do get to see Sean on a bus. Kevin Klein did a magnificent job playing a paranoid schizophrenic, but the animal controller worker called Trumper and Sean the Sheep is a delight. Uh, 
But for me, there's something just so magical about a plasticine form that just brings out a child in me. So the winner of this week's film face-off is Shaun the Sheep. Randall Parker's Film Face-Off Tell you what, the Dark Corridor's been very quiet recently, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. Not sure which. Uh, Anyway, I was talking to Sharon the Vicar, who was round at our house again the other night, talking shite about the wedding, and wondering how much Mr White was contributing to the repair the roof fund. I I remember her from school, big girl, rough girl, yeah. There was a rumour that she once punched a cow to death on a school visit to the city farm. And at high school, she was actually known as Shagger Sharon, as she was quite popular with some of the older boys. But that's all behind her now, and she's found religion and doing very well for herself. When we were alone in the kitchen making a cup of tea, I did remind her of her old nickname, and she said that if I mentioned it again, she'd kick every last one of my teeth out of my fucking skull. Just shows you though, doesn't it? You can take the girl out of the council estate, but you can't take the council estate out of the girl. It's strange that a vicar would be carrying a butterfly knife though. Right, so on to our second classic film for this week, and it's one from Belgium, made in 1975, and in English it's called Jean Dielman, 23 Commerce Way, 1080 Brussels. Bit of a mouthful, that. And it's directed by Chantelle Ackerman. Ding dong. Lady director. Well done, love. Now, just to warn you, this film does go on for 220 minutes, which in old money is about 3 hours 40 minutes, so that's Zack Schneider's Justice League territory, ain't it? So if you do plan to watch this one in one sitting, then you'll need to schedule in about three piss breaks or sit in front of the telly with an empty pop bottle. Now, looking online, I read that this film had an all-female crew, which is a good thing. I ain't got a problem with that. All I'm saying is it's a crying shame none of them were scriptwriters. As for the vast majority of this film, fuck all happens. And I mean, fuck all. Right, 30 minutes in and we've seen the main lady boil some spuds, have a bath, tidy up, wank off an old man, and she ain't spoken a single word, and it don't get any better. Her son comes home, which is odd, because he's at school and he looks about 35, right? They have a tater dinner, which I have to admit did look fucking lovely. Then she reads a letter at him really quickly, and after tea, he reads his book, and she does some knitting, and they listen to a bit of music. Then it's off to bed. Oh no, 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 I did miss a bit out actually. They went for a walk and put the bins out. Honestly, I'm not making it up, it carries on. They get up in the morning, she makes breakfast, sends him off to school, does the tidying up, then he's off to the shops. She goes to the butchers, the cobblers, then fucks off back to the flat, tidies up, shags a bloke, bundles him off out, has a bath, tidies up, then wait for it. Things begin to hot up. Strap yourselves in, folks. She overcooks the spuds that she's cooking for tea and then wait for it. She drops a shoe brush and she drops a spoon. A fucking spoon. Not all at once. These are spread out over about an hour and a half. Uh, From that point though, things do go downhill for Jean and her whole world slowly falls apart and crumbles round her ears. Not as though you'd notice because she just carries on doing shopping, peeling spuds and all the usual shit. Anyway, some bloke comes in for a fuck and after he's finished she gets up and casually stabs him in the neck with a pair of scissors. Finally, a bit of action. We only had to wait three and a half fucking hours. All this from just overboiling some spuds. 
Jesus Christ, love, you should have just made mash if they'd boiled in the water. It's not what I'd call an entertaining watch, but it does give you plenty to think about. To be fair to poor old Jean, uh, I suppose we should feel sorry for her, as she's a single mother looking after a son who obviously is slow. Right, she's stuck in the endless routine of doing housework, cooking meals, housework, cooking meals, on and on and on and on, day after day after day after day for years on end. The endless drudgery with the, with the four walls closing in on her would drive you crazy and you'd slowly lose your grip on reality, wouldn't you? The only person she sees for days on end is her ungrateful fucking son. It must be terrible for her. But it does make you realise how lucky mum is to have me at home all these years looking after her, don't it? Ratings wise, I'm going to put this on a par with something like, I don't know, um, going to the dentist, something like that. That was Jean Dealman, 23 Commerce Way, 1080 Brussels. Watch that if you want to see a middle-aged housewife wanking off a fella to make ends meet. Now, a special shout-out to Jan's 24-hour party services, who were, up until this week, sponsoring Randall's requests. Now, due to the fact that someone broke Randall's request last week with that shit show, That's My Boy, I've decided to abandon that section of the podcast, and we'll just focus on classic films for now. Janet, I'm sure you'll understand. Great stuff. Randall's Classics. So, Randall's Classic this week is a disaster movie from 1974 called Towering Inferno. Now, this film is amazing. If you haven't seen it, you need your fucking head testing. This film stars every big superstar of the time and no one is safe. You get some big names getting bumped off without warning. It's a story of the opening night of the biggest skyscraper in the world and the fucking thing sets on fire and once you know it there's a big swanky party on the top floor and the fire brigade have brought the roses but they're not long enough and shit gets real. Now, many, many years ago, my nan had this video, and every Christmas she'd make us pick three names out of a hat, and we'd watch this film, and you'd get a point for if your names got killed, right? I think it was three points for a burning, two for a falling, uh, one point for getting crushed to death. I remember one year I got Robert Vaughan and Richard Chamberlain, who both copped it at the same time. Right? Nan went fucking mental. She just turned off the telly and sent everyone home, just because I'd started to celebrate a bit too loudly. She'd got Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, so she was onto a loser from the start. That's the Towering Inferno. Get it watched. Randall's Classics. So once again, thank you for joining me on my trek through cinema. I'm so glad you could keep me company. Uh, as always, you can get in touch via email, randallparker1971 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, so why don't you get in touch? Ta-da for a bit. Mm.